0: Mark chapter 15 today. If you have your Bible, open to Mark chapter 15. Follow along. We're going to be continuing from last week. We saw last week Jesus' passion. The reason that it was his passion was because we saw that Jesus came to the point where if there was any other way possible for God to redeem mankind back to himself, we see Jesus crying out to the Father that he would do that. We're going to see some more insight in the Word today of what that looks like and, and the reason, ultimately, the fulfillment of God's purposes for Jesus to go to the cross. And it was, it, was, it was instantaneous. It was immediate. As soon as the Son's blood was shed on the cross for you and for me, we received access. The access was granted. I don't know about you guys, but whenever I see a sign that says no trespassing, <laughs> I have to know why it's there, you know, like why do they not want me to be over there? So I'm trying to figure out if I could see something, pull it up on Google Maps, zoom in as much as I can, and then the government puts that big gray spot on like they really don't want me to see what's going on in there. There was a separation between God and man that happened in the Garden of Eden. You and I are both aware of that. There was a separation that happened. And God, it's also difficult to try to wrap our brains around this, but please try to understand with me this morning that God is holy. God is perfect. There is no fault, no flaw in him. And since the sin that entered into the world in the beginning, since it entered into the world, there was a a rift that happened, a breaking of relationship between God and man. That's not what God intended. It's not what He wanted. But this is the key for you and for me. This is how important human free will is. Because without a right demonstration, without a proper demonstration of free will, there cannot be genuine love. Do you guys know that they're building robots right now that are going to take over the world? Just kidding, that last part. It's just, they're building robots to do everything imaginable that you can think of so that you don't have to do it. So soon enough, a time's going to come where you just have to, you know, yell out your robot's name. and It'll grab you a drink from the fridge or whatever. We're all going to end up like, you know, like uh, Wally. <laughs> but God, make no mistake, God did not desire to make machines that would love him. What kind of machine Or what kind of affection can a machine give to a person? Programmed affection. It's not true. It's not real. It's not genuine. When is the last time that you went to the ATM machine? Our favorite machine. Of course, it depends on what's on the other side, right? (laughs) You know, linked to the ATM machine. (laughs) But when's the last time that you went to an ATM machine and you put your card in and it said, welcome, hello, how are you? And you said, I'm doing great, thanks for asking. Wow, what a kind and courteous machine. And then it asks you some prompts and some questions and you push its buttons, you put in your PIN code and it says, what do you want? out do 20 bucks, 100 bucks. What's the limit on this thing anyway, you know? I'll take 200 bucks and it spits out 200 bucks. You're like, this is crazy. Take the $200 you put in your pocket. And you hug the machine. Oh, I love you, ATM machine. You're so obedient and worthy. Thank you so much. You don't even give it a second thought. You kick the thing as you're walking out the door. Do you know what that means? That means that that machine has no emotional relationship with you. It's not giving you money because it cares about you. It's doing what it was programmed to do. And if God programmed us like machines, then we wouldn't be worthy, our love wouldn't be worthy of Him. There has to be an opportunity. There has to be a chance. There has to be a relationship, which is what I have with my wife. I don't want her to be pre-programmed me pre-programmed to love me the way that I want her to. I want her to express it in her own way. And this is all demonstrated by Jesus' passion going to the cross, being obedient to the Father, to give us access to the Father, which is exactly what happened the moment that Jesus died on the cross. We're going to see two things this morning that indicate that and show us how it happened immediately. Let's look at chapter 15, starting in verse 1. We'll pray before we begin. God, we thank you that you are passionate about us. We thank you for the picture that we saw of your son in the garden pleading with you. And ultimately, his obedience unto death meant that we could be reconcile to you, we could have a right relationship with you that isn't just for some day in the distant future when we die and we get to live with you for eternity, but it's every day. Like Jesse said, Lord, to pray without ceasing, we could be in your presence in every moment of every hour of every day, in every week because of the access that Your Son Jesus gave us to You by His death, burial, and resurrection. Lord, we pray Your Word would impale us today, would convict us, would move us, would teach us, and that we would respond in the same level of obedience that Your Son did. We love you. Teach us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 15. Immediately in the morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. and They bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him to Pilate. Then Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? He answered and said to him, It is as you say. And the chief priests accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. Then Pilate asked him again, saying, Do you answer nothing? See how many things they testify against you? But Jesus still answered nothing, so that Pilate marveled. Immediately in the morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. The unofficial trial happened the night before. They couldn't do anything. They weren't even supposed to have a trial with Jesus based on their own law the night before. They did anyway, and now they're expediting the next day to get him to Pilate, which was the Roman prefect or governor at that time. You see, the Jews had their rights taken away as the Romans were ruling over them. They were no longer allowed to live according to Uh, Accordingly to their laws, they weren't even allowed to execute a criminal that they thought was in need of execution. They had to go through Rome, and Rome was the one that gave them the approval or denial. In fact, it was Rome that would convict and murder or give the death penalty to those who it was necessary. So here we see a transfer happening, the, the Sanhedrin, those 70 ruling elders that we talked about the last couple of weeks, they see Jesus, they, they, they want to find him guilty, even though he's innocent, and now they're taking him to Pilate, the Roman governor, so that they can have him put to death. They're asking questions. Pilate is asking questions. He's hearing the testimony about Jesus, and he asks Jesus to respond. Look at he says here. Are you the king of the Jews? He answered and said to him, it is as you say. Another way that we can say that today would be, you said it. <laughs> Obviously not with that tone of sarcasm, I should hope. I mean, if I was Jesus. <laughs> Just kidding. Don't ever say that. It is as you say. The chief priests accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. Then Pilate asked him again, saying, Do you answer nothing? See how many things they testify against you. But Jesus still answered nothing, so that Pilate marveled. Why was it a marvelous thing that Jesus was not answering? This forum was a forum where the person had the ability to defend themselves. They had the ability to say, this is what they're saying is wrong, this is what... But Jesus had already committed himself, specifically speaking, the night before. Jesus had already committed himself to the will of the Father. I find it, I find it interesting how we, as, as a people, I don't know about you but me, you know, naturally it seems, we, when somebody accuses us of something, the first thing we do is, is we try to defend ourselves. No, I didn't do that, or I didn't say this, or this was my intention, or, or that wasn't my intention, or whatever, and, there, and there's this, this trying to make it so that we're not found guilty. But for Jesus, it didn't matter. He was given over to the Father's will, to the obedience to his Father, and, and the purpose, the fulfillment of it, that will was for you and for me. Again, like we said before, it was for us. There was no defense by Jesus. He didn't need to defend himself. He was innocent. But he went for you and for me. And for that, not giving a defense, Pilate marveled. Pilate was an interesting ruler. He was known as a stubborn man, and he ruled uh, well. Um, he ruled in Judea at that time for 16 years. That was the longest amount of time that any Roman governor ruled over Judea out of the 14 in history that ruled. He ruled 16 years. He had a very interesting relationship with the Jews. We see in these verses and also we're going to see in more verses as we read along that they have an interesting back-and-forth kind of dialogue. It's known historically that that Pilate did not like the Jews. <laughs> he just lived there and had to govern them, right? He didn't care for them. In fact, he would do things to provoke them, but he was in a political position, so he had to be careful. This time during the Passover, tensions were very high. They had extra soldiers in the city just in case all of these people who were coming for, you know, the, the required feast from all over the known world in case some insurrection happened, or there were rebellions in the past, and Rome would always quell these rebellions. But he would do things to poke and prod at them. One time, historically, recorded by two historians, one of them jo- Josephus, what Pilate did was he took the, the Roman bust, the, the figure of the emperor, and he placed it on the Jewish battle standards, the battle flags. And the Jews went crazy, because by law, they're not allowed to have images of anything. And they were so upset that they traveled uh, in mass, a, a large contingency of these Jews traveled by foot over 70 miles to his house, to Pilate's house, to protest. And they protested peacefully at Pilate's house for five days. Pilate instructed his soldiers, this is a historical account, true story. Pilate instructed his soldiers, go out and murder, slaughter them all. As the soldiers were leaving to go out to take care of the people who were protesting, they all bore their throat. They bared their throat and said, take our lives because it's better for us to be dead than allow you to break our laws. And because of their their stubbornness and their determination, he relented. He said, okay, we're not going to kill anybody today and he removed the image from the Jewish standard. So we see that there is this kind of relationship between them, and we see the political element of it also today, this morning, as we look at the exchange between Pilate and the religious leaders. Now at the feast, he was accustomed to releasing one prisoner to them, whomever they requested. And there was one named Barabbas, who was chained with his fellow rebels they had committed murder in the rebellion then the multitude crying aloud began to ask him to do justice he had done always just as he had always done for them but pilate answered them saying do you want me to release to you the king of the jews for he knew that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy this is one the only time in the new testament that this Greek word for envy is used. And the parallel account in Matthew, of course. This is the only time. What does this envy look like? Envy is grief or anger caused by another's success. Grief or anger caused by another's success. And Pilate knew that the reason that they were upset with Jesus is because of how successful he was. And they didn't approve of it. We don't approve of that healing. We don't approve of that miracle. We don't approve of that wonder. Are are you insane? This is the Son of God. And these men's hearts were so hardened to the point of trying to murder Jesus to kill him because they were envious of him. But Mark gives us a little inside look. He says he knew Pilate knew what their intention was and why they were doing this. These rebels were chained together. They had committed murder. And now the Son of God, perfect, blemishless, without sin, stands before a Gentile ruler about to be picked over these people who actually did kill somebody or multiple people. Envy, that's an interesting it's an interesting thought. I don't know how much uh the word envy or this idea of envy applies to you today, but you know, you right now are in a chapter. It's just a chapter in your life. I like to say a season, but I feel like chapter is more defined. And you may look at somebody else that's in a different chapter. <laughs> And you don't know how that book is being written for that person. You don't know what they're going to have to deal with tomorrow. You don't know what they're going to have to deal with in five years, in ten years. And you may look at them and be envious of the place that they're in. But listen, envy is fruitless. And it places us in a position that is outside of the will of God. Why? Because God does have a purpose for you right now in this season. He is doing something today in your life. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't given up. It may be difficult. But we cannot look at other people and say that's what we want for ourselves because it will rob us of the blessing that God wants to give us today. Because we'll be so focused on that other person, that other thing, that other scenario, their life, that we're missing out on something that God truly, richly wants to bless us with. I've gone through so many different seasons in my life, so many different chapters. I was just thinking this the other day, thinking about you guys, the church, you know, and the season that we're in right now. I never I never imagined, I never imagined that I would be going through a season like this right now. I never imagined that I would move back to Las Vegas. In fact, it was the top 10 things of my don't ever do. And I rem- you know, put it on a sticky note just so I remember. And Grace and I, when we got married, we said, we will move anywhere in the world that you want us, Lord. Anywhere in the world. We'll go to any foreign country and learn any foreign language and do it all for your glory and except and Las Vegas. And the Lord said, funny thing about that. So if right now you're upset about this season of your life being in Las Vegas, stop it. Because God wants to bless you. It's only 150,000 degrees for a couple months of the year. It's not like you have to put it up with the whole, think of it this way. There's some people that move to Vegas for that. They're not, you know, all there, but they, they come here because of the warmth. Don't let the enemy rob you with envy. Think of it this way. We know that Jesus had to go to the cross. We know it. We know that his demonstration of free will offering to God, obedience, was going to place us in a position with him that God intended, wanted us to be. He reconciled, he restored the relationship back to the way that it was with Adam and Eve and that's good. But imagine how God could have used these people, these religious rulers who were envious. Imagine how he could have used them if they just put themselves to the side. Like one in particular, we're not exactly sure what happened, but like Nicodemus, you know, Nick at night, sneaking to go talk to Jesus. Imagine what kind of place they could have been in if they were just willing to humble themselves. You know, envy is always connected to pride. Whatever God has for you right now, embrace it. It's from Him. It's for Him. He wants to bless you. He wants to take care of you. And He's gonna. And if getting through today is difficult, just get through today. And then when today is tomorrow, get through today. I've been in seasons like that before. I know what it's like. Hang on. Ask for prayer. Come to church more. Talk to your brothers and sisters. Share how you're feeling, what you're going through, because God is doing a work, and he has you in this season for a purpose. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd so that he should rather release Barabbas to them. Pilate answered and said to them again, What then do you want me to do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? So they cried out again, Crucify him! Then Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, Crucify him! So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them, and he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. Uh, Mark compacts this story. He just says it how it is, and there's no glorification in the mortification that Jesus had to go through. Do you notice that? A lot of times when I hear a pastor or a Bible teacher teach these passages, they go through the gory, gruesome details about how the when, when you know they would they would flog them. They had little bits of metal or bone, and when they would whip them, it would rip the skin off, even to the point of ripping muscle off, so that you could see exposed. Yeah, You know, it's, it's intense. And many times, the people who were scourged, they, in some instances, they wouldn't even survive. They wouldn't make it to the crucifixion. But the Romans, they wanted them to make it to the crucifixion. They didn't want them to die prematurely because they were put up on public display. It was an advertisement. Hey, guess who's in charge? We are. Check him out. It was a fear tactic to keep people in check to keep them in a place where the government wanted to keep them. So this was brutal. But, as I just went into some detail for you, Mark does not. Why? I believe Mark's focus and the emphasis of what he's trying to communicate to us is on the the silence of the suffering servant. Jesus going through these things and there's accusations being made against him. We're going to see more in a minute. And he doesn't say a word. He is submitted not to Rome, not to the Jewish authorities. He is submitted to his father. And when we look at our lives through the same lens, we too can be disciples of Jesus Christ. We too can be servants of, of God, by not accepting something that we believe is coming from somebody else, not suffering under a boss, or suffering in a relationship, or suffering through a specific trial, we're servants of God. Our obedience in the season that we find ourselves in right now is not unto man, our obedience is unto our Father. That's why he tells us, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about the things that you're going through right now. I'm going to take care of you. What father on earth, if his, his child asks for a loaf of bread, gives him a rock? I do that kind of thing, you know. <laughs> I always give them bread later, but you know, it's fun to see the expression on their face. I'm hungry. Yeah, I'm dead. Nice to meet you. Here's a rock, kid. What father, what loving father, if if their kid needs an egg, you know we have how much kids love eggs, gives them a scorpion surprise <laughs> eat that, little sucker we don't we we don't get that kind of thing from our earthly fathers, and if that is how our earthly fathers are, how much more our heavenly father, when we ask him, when we pray, when we seek him, is he going to give us that particular scripture? The context is the Holy Spirit. I find myself, especially as I'm getting older, just, you know, just I'm generally speaking as I'm growing up, (laughs) I find myself, that's the one of the main prayers that I pray on a daily basis. Yes, the Holy Spirit has sealed me. Yes, he indwells me. Yes, it's on a permanent basis. But I cry out for more. God, please fill me with your spirit. You know, I think the word filling is a deceiving word in the sense that there's, it's indicative that there's a leaking out. So if the Holy Spirit is if filled we are filled with the Holy Spirit but then he has to fill us again and like where is it going <laughs> something's happening to it. But that's not really the 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 term. That's not really the word. Really the word better translated is empower. Empower me with the Holy Spirit so that my life is influenced by your spirit. My ears are open, my eyes are open. I'm willing to be used as a person that doesn't just call themselves a Christian, but has a relationship with almighty, eternal God. Fill me with your spirit. You ask God, he will fill you. He will take care of you. He'll allow you. He'll help you to get through the things that you have to get through today. And he says, don't worry about tomorrow. Interesting also, verses 13 and 14, the crowd are crying out to crucify Jesus. An innocent man. The crowd is fickle. Some people believe, and I don't know if I believe this, okay? You know, it's just hard to put yourself in that position. Some people believe that some of the same people who hailed Jesus in his triumphal entry are the same people here in the crowd that are calling for his crucifixion. One way or the other, we don't see anybody standing up to Jesus' defense. This is something that kind of blows my mind. We're removed. We don't understand what it was like. It was different, right? But here we have a man that literally people saw him raise people from the dead. People saw a crippled hand that had been crippled from birth. They saw it straighten out. They saw the deaf receive hearing. They saw the blind receive sight. They saw the power of God on display to a degree that they had not seen since Exodus. The power of God. And nobody has anything to say. It blows my mind. I don't know why, other than I know God wanted Jesus to go to the cross. Nay, God needed Jesus to go to the cross so that we could be reconciled to him. Over and over and over again, we see that that's the core. That's the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium, and they called together the whole garrison They clothed him with purple. They twisted a crown of thorns, put it on his head, began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews. Then they struck him on the head with a reed and spat on him. And bowing the knee, they worshipped him. When they had mocked him, they took the purple off, put his own clothes on him, and led him out to crucify him. This is one of the things in this account that we see more than the gore, more than the details of what it was like for somebody to get crucified. We see the absolute mockery that they made of Jesus Christ. Now, there's, there's very few things that I really dislike, you know. I mean, really. Can I say the H word? <laughs> there's, a few, there's a few things I hate. I just cannot stand. And it's when people make fun of other people for their own benefit. I'm not talking about, hey, listen, I'm playful. I I joke with people all the time. I'm not doing it behind their back, making fun of them. Right, Kobe? (laughs) But to mock someone and belittle them and put them down, it just gets my blood boiling. And I'll stand up for somebody else or even for myself and say, you don't know what you're talking, blah, 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 you know. You're dumb. I'm not dumb. You're dumb. Great intellect, you know, I have many words to say in that situation. Jesus received that mocking humiliation not as you or me who have fault but as a perfect man God's son, he just received it and this is something that Mark wants us to get a picture of. He wants us to see Jesus just took it. And you and me, there's going to come times in our lives when people make fun of us. People mock us. Throughout history, it seems like the world's favorite pastime is to make fun of Christians. We're stupid. We need a crutch. We don't know what we're talking about. We believe in fairy tales. Just look at that video that we watched on the, you know, the, the Creation Science Institute. They, they they laugh at us, and there's some of us who get upset and we, you know, get our pull ourselves together and and go out and debate them and get mad. But listen, you're not greater than your master. The servant is not greater than than the master. And if if Jesus just took it. Sometimes we just need to just take it. You know? Oh, well, so they said mean things about me. It's no different than what Jesus had to go through. And when I look at it in that light, it changes my perspective because it doesn't, their words have no weight. It doesn't matter what they think or say. I'm secure in my position, in my place before God. And that's more important to me than what anybody else thinks or says about me. It used to really bother me. Now it doesn't really bother me anymore. They mock Jesus. They dress him up like a king. You want to be a king? We'll treat you like a king. They beat him. Then they compelled a certain man, Simon of Cyrene, the, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his, Jesus' cross. And they brought him to the place of Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. And they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. When they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. Now it was the third hour, and they crucified him, and the inscription of his accusation was written above the king of the Jews. Jesus rightly was the king, and this was supposed to be a mockery, but what they didn't know was they were setting the stage for the king to take his throne. <laughs> That's what ultimately happens a short three days later, even uh, immediately. But let's back up for a second to verse 21. They, they compelled a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenean, the the father of Alexander and Rufus, you guys have seen as we study through the gospel of Mark that Mark is not a big name guy. He doesn't drop names. Most of the people, the vast majority of people through the gospel of Mark are anonymous he says, this lady, that guy, and, and you know every once in a while, he'll bring up a name. This is the most descript name that we have in the gospel of Mark. Not only does it give his, his name and where he's from, but he says, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as if we are supposed to know who Alexander and Rufus are. There is a verse in Romans that talk, talks about Rufus. In fact, most people believe, most scholars would agree and believe that the reason that Mark includes these names is because this man, Simon, went on to become a Christian after he carried Jesus' cross. What a testimony. We're having testimony night in Jerusalem. Here comes Simon again. Yeah, my name's Simon. I carried Jesus' cross to Golgotha. It was a heavy cross. He carried Jesus' cross to Golgotha. This man, historically, is believed to go on to have become a Christian, and these two sons are sons that uh, were well-known in the church at Rome. So as Mark is writing this gospel, most probably to Gentiles, probably to an audience in Rome, Peter, Simon Peter, was living in Rome and was telling Mark what to write in this gospel, which is what what was believed in Rome. They would know who these guys are. So it said, again, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country, passing by to bear his cross. You know what is interesting to me? These little details that sometimes just, just kind of, we kind of miss them. What was his name? What was his name, church? Simon. You guys know any other Simons? Yeah, Simon, Peter, was the one who said, even if I have to die, I will go with you and I will die. And here we have a Simon almost like taking the place of the number one disciple and carrying the cross for Jesus. I wonder if Simon Peter wondered or thought about how that could have been him. I don't want to have too much conjecture, but I do know, I do know, personally speaking, that I miss out on things that the Lord would have me to do because I have displaced myself or put myself outside of his will for some kind of moment. And that kind of that scares me, you know? I think, like God, if I don't wake up in the morning and and cry out to you and ask for you to fill me with your spirit and ask to walk in the things that you've ordained for me to walk since the foundations of the earth were were laid, that I'm going to miss talking to that person who you wanted me to talk to that day. Doesn't mean that person's going to hell because Tim didn't get a chance to talk to him. God says, okay, you know, maybe there's another Tim around here that I can use that's more willing today to talk to this person or tomorrow. I don't know if you guys have those kind of conversations or thoughts with yourself, but I think they're healthy. They're not supposed to be condemning. That's the enemy if it's if it's condemnation. That's not from the Lord. But ask yourself, God, am I missing opportunity to serve you? Am I missing opportunity to carry and bear my own cross, which was your cross first? Because I'm doing my own thing? Because I don't want to do my own thing, Lord. I want to do your thing. And here's the thing. You can write this down if you want. Right, Kobe? You got it? Whatever God's purpose for you in today, whatever his purpose for you in today, it's far, far better than what your plans are for yourself. And I cannot say that any more emphatically. But here's the reality. When we choose to walk in our will versus the Father's will, we miss out every single time. It's not just maybe I'm going to miss out. It's not maybe it's, it's going to be you know, a little more fun than what I wanted to do. Every single time we choose to do what our will is as opposed to our Father in Heaven's will, we miss out on life. We miss out on his goodness. We miss out on his provision. And you know, one of the first things I thought as I was reading this, getting ready for today, I'm like, you know, Jesus was, you know, this was his humanity. He couldn't carry the cross. You know, have you ever seen those pictures? I hope you haven't because they're kind of disturbing, but... There's these artist renditions of Jesus like as a bodybuilder and he's all ripped, you know, carrying the cross. He can take on the weight of the world. Jesus fell and couldn't carry the cross all the way to Golgotha. And somebody else had to help him get there because this is a picture of Jesus' humanity. He was beaten almost to the point of death before he was going to go hang on the cross. And this man was in a position where he could pick up. His purpose was demonstrated, and he would have that testimony for the rest of his life. I think that it's a cool testimony. <laughs> what if Simon decided to go a different route that day? What if Simon got in a fight with his wife on the way out and decided to you know, go down and Hang out with the boys before he went, you know, on his journey to to go back to where he had come from. What if he was in the whatever? What if he wasn't there? Somebody would have been picked to do that thing that gives him notoriety in the Word of God for all eternity. You know how many years people have read that verse? You know how many years people have read that name? you see the testimony that God gave to that man? you see the testimony that God gave to that family? Their sons were even involved in the early church. What a testimony. God, I want to be involved with what you're doing right now. I don't want to get caught up in what I want to do or what I think is cool because it's really not. Definitely not as much as what you have for me. With him they also crucified two robbers, one in his right, verse 27, and the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. You know what that means? That Jesus was put with these criminals and he was numbered as one of them. The Son of God. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. You want me to come down off this cross? I will pull this cross over on the side of the road, and I will show you who I really am. Do you not believe me when I say stop fighting, that I'm not going to do this, or stop saying these things? Like, Jesus... Shows perfect restraint. They're blaspheming him on the cross. They're mocking him. They're making fun of him. They're wagging their heads. You who said you could destroy the temple in three days. Save yourself now. Save yourself now? Jesus submitted to the Father. Likewise, the chief priests also mocking among themselves with the scribes said he saved others, himself he cannot save. That is the most ridiculous thing I've ever read in my life. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Jesus Christ is raising people from the dead. He's healing them of their infirmities. They're seeing things that they've never seen before. And they're making fun of him on the cross by saying he saved others. Maybe he can save himself. That is ridiculous. That is ridiculous. Ridiculous. What, what place does somebody's heart have to be that they mock the power of God when it was displayed to them and make fun of him while he's being crucified? They did not get the picture, did they? They didn't get them out. I've, seriously, maybe you guys are thinking, dude, he's overreacting. No, but this is, this is redonkulous. You know what that means? That's beyond ridiculous. He saved others? but he cannot save himself. And it breaks my heart at the same time that as Jesus was hanging on the cross, he was hearing these things that they were saying. What was he thinking? You know what I think? And I don't think I'm too far off. I'm sure he was thinking, yes, and I'm doing it for you. He was doing it for those very people who were wagging their head and spitting on him and mocking him the whole time knowing, I'm doing this for you. My motivation is to do things for myself. My motivation is to do things for my family, is to do things for people that I like, that I care about, Here's the ultimate demonstration of Jesus submitting himself to the worst known form of torture in that day. Not for a selfish reason, but for others. For you. That puts the gospel in perspective for me. He saved others, himself, he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. (laughs) I just want to smack somebody. Even those who were crucified with him reviled him. Jesus was completely abandoned to the utmost. To the point now we see in the next few verses. Now when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In this moment, Jesus feels the entirety of desertion. To the point where he is taking upon himself the weight of the uh, entire world's sin. Everybody, every known sin imaginable. Jesus is taking that upon himself to the point where even God the Father, it is said, had to look away for even a brief moment. That's how serious sin is. And we think, it's not that big of a deal. <laughs> it's just a little white lie. It's the IRS. Who likes them anyway? Everybody hates the IRS. You can get a couple hundred bucks back, you know, extra if I fudge a few things. Sin. Sin put Jesus on the cross. Sin brought him to this place where he felt completely forsaken something that you and I will never ever experience in the entirety of our lives nobody on earth will will experience absolute desertion except for Jesus Christ because God is always there for people God the father he experienced this some of those who stood by when they heard that said, Look, he is calling for Elijah. Then someone ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink, saying, Let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to take him down. Now, this, you know, there's, there's a few things that um, these were given for. This particularly, historically, was the, the world's first energy drink. This, this vinegar sour wine. Uh, common workers, soldiers would keep some of it. It was said to be cheaper than water. Uh, I didn't know, you know, they charge for water. I get offended for charging, you know, paying for water now, but I guess apparently it's been happening for a long time. That's what, you know, some historians said. And what it did, does is as soon as you, you drink or take uh, a little bit of it, you drink it, it, it wakens you up. It gets you, you know, it gets you alert. And the purpose that, that we see that they give it to him is to help him perk up and last a little longer so that they can see if Elijah is going to come back and save him. It's another form of mockery. It's another, another form of making fun of him. I don't know if they were genuine, but it doesn't seem like it. Jesus refused. Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last key verse. This is it, guys underline it, write it in the note section of the the little calendar. Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like cried out like this and breathed his last he said truly this man was the son of god two things happened the veil in the temple was torn from the top to the bottom we all understand why it couldn't be torn from the bottom to the top right why couldn't it be torn from the bottom to the top because it wouldn't have been as much an act of god as much as it would have been an act of man if it was from the bottom but nobody could reach up to the top and tear that veil in half You know what the veil was back to the beginning of our study? The veil was the no trespassing. The veil was, none may enter here. It was behind that veil that the glory of God dwelt. It was the presence of God. And only one time a year, the high priest was allowed to go behind the veil into the Holy of Holies to offer a sacrifice for the sins of the nation. Only one time a year. And even then, you know, if you studied through Leviticus with us a few months ago on Wednesday nights, even then they would tie a rope around the high priest's uh, ankle and they would attach bells to it so they could hear him entering into the holy place. And if the bell stopped, they knew that the high priest had hidden sin, that he was struck dead in the presence of God, and they had the rope to pull his body out so nobody else went in. This is the area where where God says, from now on, because of the death of my son, everyone in the world has access. There is nothing prohibiting anybody from coming to the throne of God. In fact, when we studied through Hebrews, this is a verse that still comes to mind frequently, that we can come boldly before the throne of grace to receive mercy and help in time of need. Why was it necessary for the author of Hebrews to say that to them? Because there was a hesitation. It was written to Hebrews. It was written to Jews. And they didn't go to that throne of God. They didn't go seek to be in His presence. And, and, and now things have changed. This is the new covenant. This is the new desire of God for mankind that there is nothing separating. There is no hierarchy. I am no better than you when it comes to the, in terms of having access to God. In fact, you can have greater access to God than I have. It's just a matter of taking advantage of it and doing it. In fact, I'm I'm pretty sure that some of you do have more frequent access to God than I do. God opened it up for everybody. He says there's nothing separating me from the people of the world because of the sacrifice of my son. And then the first public, genuine confession of Jesus Christ was the, the soldier who was overseeing his crucifixion, he declares that Jesus truly was the Son of God. Historically speaking, again, we have secular historians that have recorded in the middle of the day, at this particular time when Jesus, it says the whole earth turned black, that it became black as night and the stars appeared. In the middle of the day, this is, they can follow, you know, it's pretty, uh, the, uh, the solar system is, is very defined, you know. We can see when eclipses are coming, you know, we can, we can see all that based on, you know, the, the time and motion, and, and there's no way possible at this point in history that there was an eclipse or there was anything of that nature. God just supernaturally turned off the light bulb as a sign that they were being ushered in, the world was being ushered in to a new age. And that the confession of this centurion was the first confession that Jesus was the Son of God and that we do have access to the Father and the veil was ripped from the top to the bottom. There were also women looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the less, and Joseph and Salome. Who also followed him and ministered to him when he was in Galilee, and many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. I told you before, the Gospel of Mark talks about lists and goes into details about women more than any other Gospel. Frequently, he's giving these ladies the credit, so to speak, not so much to pat themselves on the back as much as to be examples for us. Where were the dudes? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe the women weren't right there at the at the foot. It says that they were at a distance. They were afar off, but they were looking. The women were there. They experienced, they saw. You know what's crazy? I don't know for sure who all saw the crucifixion and this moment that happened. But wouldn't it be insane if none of the guys saw and they all had to just listen to what had happened from all the women that were there? <laughs> feel like a big, tough guy, you know, is hiding in the cellar. And, you know, the girls were out there by Jesus while he was being crucified. And they have the account. Again, again, where does God want you to be today? Are you in the place where you're not only willing, but you are wanting to be used by him? to walk in the things that He predetermined for you since the foundations of the earth were laid? Or am I hiding somewhere because I'm scared of what people will do or scared about what they'll say or scared about if they're going to hurt me? However you allow God to manifest His perfect will in your life today will become part of your testimony that you share tomorrow. So so be there, ask, seek, because he will answer. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for, for your passion for us. Your passion that was demonstrated clearly by sending your Son, your passion that was demonstrated by your Son, by being brutalized and murdered. The story definitely does not end there. We'll see next week, Lord, that death could not hold you. You and all your righteousness. Death could not hold you. You suffered that. You suffered that for not, not too long, and then you were exalted at the right hand of your Father in heaven, and and you call us to the same place. We love you, and we submit our hearts to you this morning, in Jesus' name.